Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. So, Trisha, what are you doing this summer? Well, it turns out jobs are not like school. You don't get summers off. Yeah, but I mean like in the meantime. I mean... No plan. Incorrect. You've got homework. Lots of it. From Jill Tarter, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Tom Hanks. You're the one who still hasn't done your homework from Tom Hanks. Oh, yeah. In honor of summer and the pursuit of meaningful aims, we combed through 150 episodes of Nerdette to create the Nerdette Summer Homework Special. You may recall from grade school that many of your fellow classmates... People of a certain academic persuasion. Not only did they enjoy doing their homework, but they actively sought it out. Extra credit assignments, AP classes. Maybe they were like me and they did that thing where they dual enrolled in community college while they were in high school. Uh-huh. On Nerdette, our conversations with fascinatingly nerdy people conclude with homework assignments. Recommendations of something to read or watch or do. We've been collecting our homework from Nerdette guests for four years, and this is our first ever homework compendium. So we're playing some of our very best interviews and sharing with you some of our very best homework assignments. Like this one from one of our favorite feminist writers. My name is Lindy West, and your homework is to go to Netflix and watch every episode of Columbo. It's just the most flawless, brilliant, soothing, cinematic incredible tv ever made <laughs> wow about a darling detective who always knows and they think columbo doesn't know they think they're smarter than columbo every time and they're not you're never smarter than columbo she's always yelling knows. about columbo <laughs> there's just one other thing sir oh mr chase uh one thing uh one other thing mrs halbern um there's one thing i almost forgot do you have another minute uh one more thing sir Kaboom! Columbo, one in the books. I love Lindy West and I love Columbo. That is excellent homework. No, I haven't seen it yet, but I really need to. We'll get assignments from a bunch of people who make and do really cool things. Like Shayna Gifford. She's a physician and a scientist who took part in a year-long Mars simulation for NASA on top of a Hawaiian volcano. And actor Jaime Camille from the show Jane the Virgin. Plus, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me host Peter Seigel, yoga nerd Jessamine Stanley. And some guy named uh, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. And my typewriter. As it turns out, Tom Hanks, Oscar winner, Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient, and acutely famous movie star, is obsessed with typewriters. And he thinks you should buy one. Knowing full well about this obsession, I took my 1939 Underwood typewriter into the studio here at WBEZ, and here's what happened when Tom Hanks walked in. All right, here's your margins. Did you know this? Have you explored this typewriter? Not as much as you have right now. (laughs) So you flip this thing in the back, like that, and Uh here's how you adjust the margins. Okay. Oh, that's cool. You gotta push this. Oh, sorry, hold on. You gotta push it in a little bit. I'm going to say that this typewriter was made sometime in the 1930s. I think it's a 39. Yeah. Okay, 39, so pre-war. <laughs> a lot of technology came out of World War II. Okay, so here's the, here's the first test of any typewriter you might purchase. <laughs> All a right. typewriter that is old. Let's listen for it, shall we? Hear that? Got a little ding. That. Now, that's a, not a very loud ding, but it is there. <laughs> and the truth is you don't need to have a big ding. Okay, I feel like we should jump in here and let our listeners know that by this point, we had not even asked Tom Hanks a question. Not a single question. (laughs) He just saw my typewriter and got so excited telling me about all the buttons and the levers, and he went on and on and on What I noticed about this 1938 machine is, for a long time, almost all typewriters had these relatively small round keys. And you know what you have to do? You just have to figure out where the margin release has only... This odd, mysterious silver button now, here on the side. You'd be amazed at how, how much your ear seeks that ding it? out. And the fact though. is, the ding goes off before you actually stop. 
Okay, Tom, so why typewriters? How did this obsession start? Well, it started with a free typewriter. Uh, my, my good friend uh, got a brand new Olivetti electric typewriter, and he had this typewriter that he gave to me as his spare. And there was one class in high school that my father insisted I take, which was typing. <laughs> I don't think my dad was sure where my high school actually was in the city, <laughs> but he did say, you're going to take typing because that's a skill you'll remember for the, you know, you'll use for the rest of your life. He was right. And he was absolutely right. I took a <laughs> semester of typing. Uh, but I did not have a typewriter, and when my friend DJ gave me gave me his typewriter, well, then there it was, and I I pounded that thing for the better part of well, I guess you know five years, until it was no longer operating to its maximum. It, it began to sp- skip a lot, particularly in the space bar, which is maddening. Yeah, there was a loose portion of it. Nubbin. That, <laughs> well, no, no. Well, it, it it rattled, you know, the, and no matter how many times I tightened the screw, it would still come on loose. And what I did not realize is that, that I, he had given me a really a junky, worthless <laughs> 1970s era machine. And I found this out when I took it to get serviced uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. And um, I walked into a, a business machine store and there was an old fellow. I'm going to say he was German or Slavic or Polish. He had a bit of an accent. And uh, he said, uh, how can I help you, young man? And I said, well, I'd like to get my uh, uh, typewriter serviced. It's, uh, you know, it's got problems with it. And he said, uh, young man, I will not touch this. <laughs> and he explained to me that I, I was in possession of a toy. It was a thing that looked like a typewriter, but it was made of plastic. It was a hunk of junk. It was badly designed, poorly manufactured. And then he showed me a wall of his his portable typewriters. And I ended up walking out of his store with a Hermes 2000, which he sold, sold me for $45. And uh, alas, that typewriter succumbed to a lot of movement and kids who destroyed it. And I don't know where it is now, but I, I, have, uh, I have the same machine. And what they are are self-contained printing presses with which you can change the world. And the permanence of a typewritten letter that means that I've said this many be- times before and I've written about it is that understand that a good piece of paper uh, has a rag content to it. This is not a good piece of paper. This is just printer paper. Well, I'm come guessing. on, man. Well, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I, I know you're on a budget here at WEBBZBD. Um, but what happens is there is ink on the ribbon. There is a, a mold on the hammer that is the key. And when you press that hammer onto the ribbon, the letter is stamped not onto the paper, but into the actual fi- uh, fibers of the paper. It's almost like paint on a canvas. And so therefore, it will last for a thousand years. And depending on the machine and the font and the pressure of your fingers and the, your style of typing, it will, it will be almost as recognizable as, uh, as your fingerprints, as your penmanship. And I think they're beautiful objects. And there's no reason that you shouldn't be using them uh, all the time for uh, absolutely everything. By the way, this button right here. Yes, please. This will reverse, <laughs> this will reverse the, the, the oh, orbit of the... Of the Now, Trish, where do you keep this typewriter? I keep it in its container, the box that's its carrying case. So I don't want dust getting all in it. And so I keep it closed up most of the time. Strike one. Where do you keep (gasps) it? Right in my living room. Where in your living room? On a shelf. On a shelf. Okay, I'm going to take that strike away. Oh, good. Because that's good. Because what you do not want, this must be in uh, eye shot. You oh, yeah. cannot put it under a thing or in the back of a closet or anything. Uh, the, you, so you're looking at the typewriter case. I'm going to say every day. Yeah, it's so, under so, under my television. So yeah. <laughs> well then, yeah, yeah. I guess I, I guess you would be. Now, do you have to bend over to pull it out, or is it pretty effortless to pull it out? It's pretty easy to grab it. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's front and the center. easier the better. Mm-hmm. Now, what you honestly should do is keep your typewriter out. All you, if you have a supply of paper. Ready to go? Like I'm going to get some sheets. better paper. All you have to do is, <laughs> do look, better. just put it on top of it like that. Uh-huh. And that will be an effect, effective enough dust cover. Oh, that's good all to right? know. I was worried about that. Right. No, I know. I know because you think, oh, it's going to get all gummed up. If you use it every day, all, then you have to just come home and say you're going to write a, a note to your lover, a shopping list, a memo to yourself, mm-hmm. the first few stanzas of an epic poem that will win you the Nobel Prize. Yes. <laughs> you might have that idea in the time that you bend down below your TV, pull out the 
case, put it on the open it up, figure out and pull it out of its case, that inspiration may have been may have been lost to you. Mm. I recommend keeping it out with a stack of paper. And if you want to get a thing, you know, a, a rubber deal, a plastic thing, you can get those anywhere on. Okay. They're not really good looking, though. Yeah. So, All right. or, but if you want, make your own Lucite transparent box that you can set Oh, that would it. be cool. I do have some of those. <laughs> um, and, then, and then write handy the special paper that might have your name on it and the special envelopes mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. would match that paper. And then what you have there is essentially a word processing machine that you can use every day that you will never lose the data. And can never be hacked by the forces of evil. Yeah, that's and all you now. have to remember to do is put the put the, what you typed into an envelope or hand it over to the people you love or stick it in the mail. And that's also assuming that the post office remains in existence for a while. This is the Nerdette Summer Homework Special. I'm Trisha Bobita with Greta Johnson. You're listening to our conversation with Tom Hanks, which is actually more of a masterclass in the functionality of my Underwood typewriter. Yes, and Tom is about to test whether or not Trisha has been paying any attention. Now, here's this little lever here. Uh, I'm, there's only really three, mis- four mysterious levers on this, which is good. <laughs> What's this one again? This is the, uh, the ribbon Ribbon reversing. return. Yep. Yeah, return the direction. Quizzed. And what's this? That's for the margin Margin release. release that's right. The touch, the touch, touch typing yep. lever. Mm-hmm. Now, and this one here. You know what this is? <laughs> this is the big McGilla, kids. Are you ready for uh-huh. this? This is as close as you get to, to being able to true, making a true word processor. This is like the, the for emphasis, for a bold font, or a, you would slide it up to this lever up to the circle with the red uh, uh-huh. uh, the red coloring. Now, you would have to buy, and they sell them, and you can still find them, the two-tone ribbon. Black on the top, red on the bottom. So that when you slid this up to the red, whatever you typed would come up just like a red-letter edition of the New Testament nice. in red. So say you're, ta- say you're writing a, uh, to your mom, Dear Mom, I want you to have the, slide it up to red, happiest... <laughs> Slide it back down to black <laughs> of Mother's Day because I, up to red, in red, love, in red letters, back down, you. And that's where you could add, you know, a fabulous kind of thing. Making it a true, uh, no, not every, and not every. It must have blown people's minds when that first option appeared. You can do two colors at once. It must have just been like. <laughs> Each of these incremental changes uh, to the technology must have been so exciting. Like, there, now we're kind of joking. There was panemo- pandemonium in the pandemonium streets. Pandemonium in the streets. Happened. <laughs> there were long lines around the Underwood showroom in which people slept overnight in order to be able to f- be first in line <laughs> to get that champion model typewriter with the uh, with the red ribbon uh, option. I mean, people so, get pretty excited when there's a new emoji added to the phone. So I just imagined it would be similar. <laughs> like, a new way to communicate is exciting. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. Now... This keyboard right here, which does not have that many keys, is it is all you need to recreate everything from Ulysses to the screenplay of The Matrix. You can do it all right here on this little 1938 keyboard. That, I mean, let feel. Uh, hold on, I'm going to drop this thing on the on the desk. Are you really? Listen to this. I'm only raising it up about three inches. <laughs> I hear that thing. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you right now, if you did that with your laptop, Ooh. you might be taking it to the shop for it to be <laughs> uh-huh. repaired. This thing is bulletproof, nigh-on indestructible. In fact, if you wanted to murder somebody, <laughs> you would tape this to their hands and throw them into the pool. Don't give her any and ideas. They would, they would rest down the bottom. They'd never be at it. This thing will drown you. But the main thing is all you need for this thing to last forever is a little oil, uh, the ability to either get uh, the ribbons or to re-ink them yourself, which you can do very easily by going on the Internet saying, how do I re-ink a, 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 cart- uh, a, a typewriter ribbon? And, and there you go. Look how easy that lifts up. I'm now looking at the guts of the machine. It's a very clean machine. Bravo. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, some people might have just a little bit of typewriter oil, which you use so sparingly. But look at that bad boy. This is, this is a gorgeous, gorgeous machine. We suspected you might be a fan. Now, here's the thing. Where did you get this machine? I got it off Craigslist, actually. Really? So I was on the hunt for one that I want. I wanted a usable one because I wanted to start typing on one. And so I was on Craigslist and met somebody at a Panera Bread, and they handed it over to me, and I gave Beautiful. them 50 bucks. 
50 bucks. Yep. All right. You have proven the physical formula that I've worked out. The algorithm for old uh, manual typewriters is that none are worth more than 50 bucks. <laughs> oh, there you go. Although I have, I have paid more than $50 just because I wanted to have the machine. But in all honesty, I have so many that I'm giving a lot of them away because I don't want to be a... Are you at the point now where there's so many that if you write a letter on one, you just send the whole typewriter uh, and letter? Uh, I, have come close, <laughs> I have come closer to that. I try to rotate them all into use, and I just have too many of them. I, I just can't. Uh, but this, thing. I'm going to tell you right now, if if this Underwood champion that I'm looking at right now was the only typewriter I could have, I would be completely satisfied because this, I'm going to tell you right now, your great-great-grandchildren will, will type on this machine. Mm-hmm. So start typing them letters right now, throw them in a shoebox and hand it over when the time comes. It's a, it's a great machine. Oh, one question. Sure. I think we're going to get yelled at very soon. Oh, who online. cares? They work for me. <laughs> This man really loves typewriters. He literally would not stop talking about them. It was kind of amazing. You're listening to the Nerdette Summer Homework Special. Your homework from Tom Hanks, buy a typewriter. There are plenty out there. Just try the internet. And it's worth repeating. Tom says you shouldn't have to spend more than like $50 on one. Which is exactly what I paid for mine, which makes me feel clever. That is clever. So Greta, the world must know, have you done your homework from Tom Hanks? I have not yet, but I also haven't had a lot of spare 50 bucks lying around. Do you have any, like, less expensive homework for me? I think I can do that. Let me just rifle through the homework files mm-hmm. here. We have Feminine's equivalents. No. The Mirror of Erised. Well, that's quite fictional. Um, <laughs> aha! Yes, here. Here we go. It's a homework assignment from astronomer Jill Tarter. She's the former director of the Center for SETI Research, which searches for extraterrestrial life in the universe. She's also the inspiration for Contact, the 1985 sci-fi novel by Carl Sagan that became a movie starring Jodie Foster. Here's her homework. My homework would be go look at all your social media profiles. And what's the first thing you say about yourself? I would like that first thing that you say about yourself is that you're an earthling. And I would like you to try and follow that with an open, larger perspective, a more cosmic perspective about who you are, where you are, and how you fit into a much larger universe. Because I think it's that kind of perspective that's going to allow us to get through these next hundred years and to find answers to challenges that don't respect national boundaries right now, that have to be worked as global problems. Sometimes we also get homework assignments from listeners like you. Here's one from a new pen pal. Hi, Greta and Tricia. This is Tasha calling from Chicago. My homework for you and your other listeners is to read the book The Answer is Never by Jocko Wayland. It's a general and personal history of skateboarding, starting with surfers in the 60s and going all the way through to the early 2000s when the sport became more mainstream. Skateboarders have been historically given a bad reputation, and this book will give you a renewed respect for their commitment to the craft and their sportsmanship and camaraderie. Thanks very much for listening to me. I hope you enjoy the book and have an excellent summer. You're listening to the Nerdette Summer Homework Special. More in a moment. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. You're listening to the Nerdette Summer Homework Special from WBEZ Chicago. On Nerdette, our guests assign our listeners homework. Today, we're sharing some of the best assignments we have ever received. Here's homework from former Illinois Senator Carol Mosley-Braun. 
I think I'm going to come back to the Constitution. I'm going to ask people to get a copy of the Constitution and read it. Read what the structures are. The importance of participating in politics is so that your voice is heard in terms of who gets to make the decisions about governing. But really, the governing is what all this is about. And unfortunately, we have a tendency to get them confused. And I think that that is one of the problems that we have to overcome for people to understand that what we have is a very, very rare and precious jewel in terms of our governmental structures, the way our system is set up that is the envy of the rest of the world. And we really should pay attention to it. A, unless you know what it is, you can't talk about it. You can't criticize it. It's like the line about people who don't vote. If you don't vote and you don't participate, you've got nothing to say to anybody about any of this because you have failed yourself and the rest of the community, indeed the rest of the world, given how powerful the United States is. So, you know, find out about government, read the Constitution. There'll be some parts that will see a little bizarre. It's like reading the Bible, okay? Seriously, there's some parts of it that you go, huh? Okay. But once you've done that, then, you ha- then you're in a better position to actually have a conversation about what it is that we're doing with our politics. That was excellent homework from Carol Mosley Braun, who, by the way, in 1993 took office as the first African-American woman ever in the U.S. Senate. And, you know, it's worth noting that's not the only barrier she broke in 1993. She was also one of the first female senators to wear pants on the Senate floor. That's right. It was 1993 and women were still not allowed to wear pants on the Senate floor. Google it, y'all. Hats off and pants on. (laughs) To Carol Mosley Braun and her co-pants conspirator, Barbara Mikulski. Okay, the people want more homework. Okay, your next piece of homework this summer is to watch Jane the Virgin. Jane the Virgin is a telenovela-style dramedy from the CW that's also available on Netflix. It's about a young woman named Jane who vows to remain celibate until marriage, but then she ends up pregnant because of a really weird medical mix-up. It's got an amazing cast, including our next guest, Jaime Camille. He plays Jane's long-lost father, who is a notorious over-actor. Rogelio de la Vega. You're a policeman? Detective, actually. I'm a lieutenant. In space. I could shadow you. What? To gain authenticity. Dad, this is his job. And acting is mine. This gif is embarrassing me because I take my craft very seriously, which you can see by my use of the word craft. It's also worth just stopping here for a second and letting Jaime Camille say his character's name. But of course, it's a uh, uh, hi. My name is Rogelio de la Vega. <laughs> you kind of like want to spit something out, but you actually don't have anything to spit. It's, it's like a healthy balance between spitting and rolling your R's. Greta talked with Jaime about the show and why its characters are so relatable. They're humans. It's a show written for human beings, not for a certain ethnicity or demographic. And I think that's a clue for of, of Jane's success. Um, Jane's family, Gina Rodriguez, who is brilliant at, at Jane and a beautiful, beautiful person. Yeah, she happens to be Latina and we happen to be working with a family that has a Hispanic heritage. But I mean, that's just nothing. That's just a little extra thing that we have on the show. The, the show, it's we could be from Vietnam, we could be from Turkey, we could be from Germany. I mean, it, it's the, the, the show tells stories about humans, about human beings and their struggles, and regardless of their ethnicity or their demographics. I wonder what you think Jane the Virgin has done to add dimensions to the portrayal of Latin American people on TV in the United States. A lot. I mean, kudos to Mark Pedowitz, the CW president and our network executives and our producer, Ben Silverman, and, you know, Jenny Ehrman, because just the fact that we're portraying Latinos without having to scream tacos or fiesta in every single uh, line or 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 talk like this because we're supposed to be Latinos and Latinos talk like this. You know, just, just the fact that they're portrayed as normal people. Mm-hmm normal, middle-class America, you know, they live with their struggles and they struggle to get by every single day. Just the fact that they're portrayed as normal people, that's just, uh, I mean, amazing. It's a win. Another thing I love about the show is how much it's addressing the current political climate without being really heavy-handed about it. Like, it's still lighthearted and fun, even though you're dealing with really serious issues around, you know, what it's like to be an undocumented person worrying about ice raids, for example. Yes. 
Yes, I think uh, it's the responsibility of the showrunner to speak out when, when these things happen. But in a very, you know, we, we are, we, we don't have a political channel. We, we're not CNN. I mean, we are a show on the CW that is meant to entertain people. So we're not going to get that heavy in the political scenario or anything, but we are going to address these issues in the way you will, you would address them over coffee with your friends. Maybe not, because, you know, when you address political issues over coffee with your friends, friendships sometimes end. Mm -hmm. So we don't go that deep into them, but we do address them. And I think it's important to create some conscience, especially with the political vibe that this country is living right now, which is kind of like uncertain and and contradictory. And I mean, it's just uh, there's a lot going on. And I think it's uh, the responsibility of, of whoever has the power of communicating to the masses a fair point of view. Like the last line that, that Jane had, you know, freedom of speech is not about being comfortable with only the speech you like or when they praise you. It's about freedom of speech, all kinds of speech, not just the one that favors you. You're listening to the Nerdette Summer Homework Special. I'm Greta Johnson, and I'm speaking with Jaime Camille. He plays Rogelio de la Vega on the CW sitcom Jane the Virgin. The show is known for surprising plot twists. So I asked Jaime which one was his favorite. I don't know. I think, uh, well, you know, we we are not giving the scripts in advance, right? Oh, really? Yeah, we're not. We get the scripts one day before the official table read and so two days before we start shooting the episode. Wow. And sometimes we're like, okay, we we take the chat and we're like, hey, listen, let's not read the season finale until we are at the table read. Okay, cool. Okay, okay, deal, deal, whatever. So sometimes we do these things and we are reading the script and we're finding out stuff and discovering plot twists the same way the audience discovers them. I mean, it's just, it's so fun. And as an actor, that's amazing because you don't get to cheat. You know, when you know what's going to happen in a certain episode, you can you might say to yourself, okay, I'm going to play like this and like this, and I'm going to do it like this, and I'm going to execute this situation like this. So when you are, like, surprised by what's going to happen, I think you don't lose your spontaneity. Spontaneity, yeah. Tu espontaneidad. You don't lose it. I think authenticity, too. I think to a certain exactly. extent, then it's it's your own feelings going into the role in a really powerful way. And I think I didn't answer your question, right? You didn't, but you answered a very interesting <laughs> thing, nonetheless. This is what we call in politics, pivot. <laughs> <laughs> you're not flip-flopping, you're just pivoting. Exactly. <laughs> no, what was your question? It, it was a good question, and I, want, and I want to answer it. It was about your favorite plot twist. Oh, yeah. I love Petra. I love Yael Grobla's uh, character. And we finally had a first scene together. I don't know if you remember the scene where, where we can't understand each other because yes. we both have very thick accents. Yes. <laughs> well, since you were shooting all over the hotel that night, I'm just hoping you'll find some footage of Scott. Uh, I'm sorry, can you please slow down? Hmm? Your accent is very strong. Oh, I love this part! You laugh at a port? Why would I laugh at a parrot? No, I'm just saying this is such a gem. Well, can't you go to the gym later? There's hours and hours of footage here. Or what? What? Please, just slow down. And Yael and I, we were laughing so hard when we were rehearsing the scene before shooting it. We were having such a good time. And so it was it was very fun to do that scene with her. And I wish we, we have more, you know. It makes me so happy to know that you guys actually like each other because I think I would just be devastated if I found out that it was just catfights behind the scenes with you guys. Well, to be honest, I mean, if they were catfights, I would probably lie to you and, and tell you <laughs> like that we are have a great that relationship. That everyone is but, beautiful. <laughs> exactly. No, but we honestly, we when we got picked up as a pilot we had the first table read with mark pedowitz and all the network executives and we were there and the energy was so amazing we finished the read and we hugged each other like we did like a like a huddle we, we embraced each other and said listen no matter what's going to happen with the show if it moves forward it gets cast whatever happens let's promise we will always love this moment we will always cherish and remember this amazing moment we had of getting picked up, you know, going to series, etc. And let's always be humble. And that's it. So every single person that comes to the show, day players, guest starring roles, whoever we embrace them. How are you? Please sit with us. This is where we sit. Here's a book for you. Here's a backpack we did for you. And everybody looked at us like, these guys are either on drugs, like constantly <laughs> on, on happy drugs, or this is not Hollywood or we're shooting in Wisconsin. I mean, what the hell is wrong with this Hollywood thing? And I think that transcends the screen. 
And maybe that's why people connect with Jane Divergent so much because we connect with each other so deeply as cast members that I think that's transmitted. It absolutely is. I think that's why it makes me so happy. Yay. (laughs) Yay. I'm really interested to hear in your career leading up to Jane the Virgin also, you started in radio, right? Can you imagine? Yes. I can imagine. Radioactivo 98 y medio. Yes. It was, uh, you're going to love the story, it was a, a radio show produced by Alejandro González Iñárritu, the Oscar-winning director of The Revenant right. and of Birdman and a, a lot of uh, brilliant shows. Wow. Yeah. Alejandro was one of the most important um, DJs in Mexico, in Latin America. He was, you know, his voice is amazing for radio. And then Martin Hernández, who is also a very important uh, DJ in Mexico, he is also an Oscar-nominated musical producer because he designs the sound for every single Alejandro González Iñárritu movie. So what did you do on the radio? I was was producing. I was, first of all, you know, you have to start from the bottom. So I was first editing editing voices then I was the master editor for the for the shows once they were produced and then I I was offered the the morning show so it was you know the, you know the classic morning show you arrive there at 3 a.m and yep. you go on the air at 6 a.m and it's it's just brutal because all your times I mean the way you live changes because you sleep during I mean it's just crazy but uh yeah do you miss anything about those days a lot. I miss radio a lot. It was such a beautiful and, and liberating. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's such a liberating thing to be able to talk and, and, you know, be prudent on what you're saying, but also be honest. But at the same time, understanding the responsibility you have because you're heard by millions of people. So, I mean, it's just it's just beautiful. I think radio, it's, it's beautiful. The way you play with the people's imagination. Like if we say that we are right now in a beautiful Puerto Vallarta beach and we have the sound effects and everything, people will believe that we are on a beach. And, and I think that, uh, that that fact of radio is just beautiful. You're listening to the Nerd at Summer Homework Special. That was Jaime Camille from the CW show Jane the Virgin. Your homework is to catch up on that show. You can watch all of it on Netflix. Give it a try. You're going to like it. Jaime had another piece of TV-related homework for you. Please watch Ancient Aliens. Ooh. Have you watched the show? No, tell me. I haven't even oh, heard of it. Oh, my dear God. It's so good. It's about the theory that we have been visited by aliens many times and, and how oh, cool. aliens <laughs> I'm so sorry I'm sorry you asked me and I'm going for it no and I'm this very is great sorry. no don't but apologize ancient ancient aliens it's a very interesting show that I am completely addicted to ancient aliens alright we'll check it out <laughs> definitely I have to say, I had no idea that this show was even a thing until I may mention it. It sounds very strange. It's on the History Channel. There have been 12 seasons. <laughs> 12 seasons. Here are some of my favorite episode titles. Oh, good. Shiva the Destroyer. Oh, yes. The Mysterious Nine. Which nine? And Decoding the Cosmic Egg. <laughs> now for a bit of homework from our pal Peter Segel. He is the host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, NPR's News Quiz. Go outside. When I look back on my childhood, especially my nerdy childhood, I have two regrets. The first regret is kind of about nerddom itself. My friends and I used to praise the idea of escapism. I mean, I remember one of the buttons we got at conventions was the only people who are opposed to escapism are jailers. (laughs) That's fun, but it is escapism. What are you escaping from? Well, there's this wonderful world around you, and it's actually filled with really interesting stories that are true. But more than that, I also regret spending so much time in my head what you're really doing is you're sort of building walls, you're bricking up windows. So one of the things that became very important to me when I was a teenager and uh, even more so now is going outside and going for a run. The body that you have is more useful for things than carrying your head around <laughs> and pointing it at various screens or pages. And I think it's really important, especially today, when we have our iPhones and iPads and televisions and computers to cut all that out, I wrote for Runner's World, and I wrote a column in which I recommended the people go running without headphones, which is like a controversial thing. Right? Sure, yeah. Because I think it's really important to sort of find out what's going on inside your head rather than keep shoveling things in it. Because I think a lot of times, and again, if you think you're speaking for myself, you're right. You take in <laughs> all this input just to quiet the voice inside because sure. you can't stand it. It's like, oh, my own thoughts are uncomfortable to me, whatever they may be. Maybe they're sad. Maybe they're whatever. And I know I'm echoing what Louis C.K. said 
although he was much funnier. Louis C.K. did this thing where he was talking about why he doesn't give his kids oh, phones. Sure. The way he put it was like, oh, I'm going to be sad. Oh, no, I won't be sad. I'll look at my phone. Right. It's like, no, be sad. Mm, yeah. Have some despair. Yeah. Have some loneliness. Exist for a moment. And the way I do that is I go out and I go for a run. Sometimes I take my dog. Also get a dog. That was Peter Segel, host of NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And plug alert, Peter is also the namesake of a little podcast we have called Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Segel. That is the full title. After every new episode of HBO's Game of Thrones, Greta and I square off against Peter to sort out what happened, who won, who lost, and how all of that is going to affect our lives. Which generally is not at all, but that's okay. Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Segel. Find it wherever you find your podcasts. Here's another piece of homework from a Nerdette listener. Hi, awesome Nerdettes. This is Kim in beautiful Olympia, Washington. And my homework for you is to read Lilac Girls by Martha Hall Kelly. This is a beautifully crafted work of historic fiction that tells the story of Caroline Faraday, an actress, socialite, and philanthropist during World War II. Go check it out. I promise you won't be disappointed. Back with more homework in a minute. From WBEZ Chicago, this is the Nerdette Summer Homework Special. I'm Greta Johnson from Nerdette. And I'm Trisha Bobita, also from Nerdette. After we talk with guests on our podcast called Nerdette, we ask them to assign homework to you, to us, to everyone. Today, we're giving you some of our favorite assignments. Like this one from Batsheva Marcus. She's a sexual health expert and counselor who works with the Orthodox Jewish community in New York. So this one is a touch salacious. I think a good homework assignment would be telling your listeners that every day, if you can find two little tiny sexy things to add to your life, you should do it. And then see kind of how that changes the way you feel about yourself and your relationship. So that might be as little as like unbuttoning one more button or holding somebody's eye contact for an extra 10 seconds um, or licking your lips while somebody's watching you or just staring into the mirror at yourself or getting a really sexy color nail polish, anything that makes you sort of feel sexy just for an extra few seconds and add those into your life maybe twice a day and kind of see how that changes your your reality and your sense of yourself and your sexuality. Oh my gosh. You know, I always say that this is my favorite homework, but I think this one really is my favorite homework. <laughs> That's delightful. Okay, before we get to our next homework assignment, I need to prepare the studio. Oh, come on. What? We're going to talk about yoga. So I put on some (laughs) yoga music. This is what you're supposed to do when you do yoga, right? Wait, wait, wait. Let me crank up the heat to like 97 degrees. Yoga is supposed to be real hot, right? (laughs) Okay, so this is what our next guest is all about. Jessamyn Stanley is a yoga teacher who breaks all stereotypes of a yogi, which means she would not be into the new agey music, okay? Fine, we'll turn it off. She wrote a book called Everybody Yoga, and in the intro, she writes all yoga bodies deserve to be represented in print, not just those that are slender, female, and white. I wrote this book for every fat person, every old person, and every exceptionally short person. I wrote it for every person who's self-conscious about their body. As you may have guessed, I was a yoga skeptic. Still oh, really? am. But Jessamine Stanley has helped me overcome some of that skepticism. We talked to Jessamine about her initial resistance to yoga and who yoga is quote unquote for. And oddly enough, for a conversation about yoga, there are actually a few swear words in here. We do bleep them, but be forewarned. Can you tell us about your first yoga class? What was that like? How did you feel going into it? What happened? Oh, man. So my aunt was really into Bikram yoga when I was in high school. And Bikram is kind of like a culty thing. So people and I say that in the most positive light. (laughs) I have no issue with that. But it's definitely like a they drink the Kool-Aid situation. And so she was like, oh, my God, try Bikram yoga. You're going to love it. And I'm like, I'm 16. I'm fat. I got nothing better to do. So why not (laughs) go to this yoga class? And I went and I hated it. Everything about it was awful. So this 
this particular style of yoga is done in a room that's 104 degrees. Yeah, no. And what? it's like, yeah, it's 104 degrees. No. It's 26 poses done twice yeah. over 90 minutes. It is intense. Like, it will get to people who have been doing it for decades. And when I went in, immediately you're sweating. And it's really a lot like walking into a hot, damp washcloth and just having that trapped across your face. Oh and so God. initially I was like, I'm dying. Like, this is not okay. And I'm sweating from my eyebrows, sweating from my elbow creases. Like, And then we got into the poses. And I think I'm being way too generous to say I made it a third of the way into the class before I was like, I'm done with this. I'm like, I'm, I'm good. And so I walk out of the room. And they always tell you not to leave the room. And I was like... <laughs> I don't care. I'm dying. And so I walk out, immediately feel great, coated in AC. And then I walk back in the room and I learned why you're not supposed to do that because you will become nauseous because of the temperature change. And so I got really, really sick. And then I left again and I was like, that. It's not for me. I'm not doing this. <laughs> and it was seven years before I tried it again. And oh, even wow. when I did, I was super skeptical. I was like, this is not for me. I mean, I can just... I can keep rolling the story because this is a whole, it was a saga, y'all. Like, I was in graduate school. I was really depressed. I struggled with depression my whole life and struggled with anxiety. And so it was like, it was just a very sad time. And one of my classmates, she drank the Beacon Kool-Aid. She was like, oh my God, you love it. It's going to change your life. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I've tried it before. It's not for me. And I have that personality where it's like, I know what I like. And so I knew I didn't like that. They had a Groupon pass. So it was one of those things where it's like, if it's $30 and you only go once, then you lost $30. It's not the big of a deal. It's almost cheaper to just go and have your friend leave you alone. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I remember going and like I was the only black person, the only fat person. I was definitely trying to hide myself in the furthest corner of the room. And everything about it was exactly the same as it was when I was 16. It was still hard as f- hot as f- It was so dreadful. And then I got to a place of thinking, yeah, but you could just try. And that idea of just trying, I was not doing that in my day-to-day life. And it was wild to start doing it. And it gave me so much perspective because if I could try in this context with something that I was so unfamiliar with and that over time, my body, it did become easier. It wasn't like the next day I'm just falling into the shapes, but it did become easier. And as time went on, I just thought, where else in my life am I not doing this? And to me, that has always been the magic of the practice is pushing me so far out of my comfort zone to a place where I'm pissed. Like I'm mad. (laughs) I'm mad at myself. I'm mad at the practice. I'm just like, just so lit up. And then pushing beyond that. It's insane. It's addictive. I just, I mean, can I just say like, I was not good at the sit and reach on the presidential fitness test situation. Neither was I. Like, I'm not a flexible person. I would try to break my ankle before field day. Like, I was always that kid who's like, I'm so sick on this one day of the year. And, like, I specifically remember running in the presidential fitness. Is that what it's called? Like, the presidential fitness test? The nightmare of all nightmares is what (laughs) it should be called. And I would be like... I can't do this at all. And that kind of mentality has stayed with me my whole life where it's like, I'm not athletic. I'm not. And there are a lot of people who feel this way. And I think that if you can get to a place where it's not about the athleticism, then it's amazing. But it's really hard to do that in this like fake yoga world that is like, let's talk about that. Yeah. It's like, I totally get how you would feel. Like it's sketchy. So you mentioned the fake yoga world and we definitely like want to dive into that with you. But I thought we could start with just you telling us a little bit about like who you envision this book being for. Yeah, absolutely. I think that within the yoga world, there are very few depictions of anyone other than a cisgender, heterosexual, white, slender woman. And she always has a certain amount of money. She has the time to practice in yoga studios. She has the time to go on yoga retreats, to drink coconut water and to like (laughs) talk about kombucha in detail. And anyone who doesn't do those things, it's like it's not for you. And I feel like all of that is just a product of marketing. I mean, it's really smart in a lot of ways to market to people who, you know, have the extra money to spend on this. But that's not yoga. And when I see that, I'm just kind of like, I like Mediterranean retreats, too. But like, that's (laughs) not anything to do with this practice that is really all about looking within yourself. And to me, it was important to show 
more body types to show just how easy it is to start implementing this practice in your life, that you don't have to go to a studio every week, that all of these misconceptions that we have about it are largely wrong. And then on top of that, when you think about the yoga teacher, you always see this, like I've described it as it's like an angel and a unicorn had a baby and then wore stretch (laughs) pants. And they're just like, oh, my gosh, namaste. I'm so perfect. And maybe if you practice 100 sun sows, then you too will feel perfect just like me. And that's not really how it is. Like I've never met a yoga teacher or a yoga practitioner who is obsessed with it, who didn't get that way because they have anxiety or depression or some injury or something happened to you to make you need this medicine. And in order to really talk about how I started practicing yoga, it was really important to me to tell the story of why I started practicing. Because that story is not told at all all in our society. And I feel like, especially as the modern yoga world moves forward, it's really important for us to chronicle the stories of people who you wouldn't typically expect to see. And that means like a millennial who listens to hip hop, who uses profanity, who has had an alcohol problem. And being really frank about that was very important to me. You're listening to the Nerdette Summer Homework Special. And we're talking with yoga teacher and author Jessamine Stanley. I'm a yoga person myself, so I was really excited to hear from Jessamine what she's learned in her yoga practice that she can bring back into her real life. I think the main thing that has been really helpful for me is really what's at the core of yoga. And it's something that gets totally overlooked because everyone is obsessed with these postures. It's always like, I want to be able to do a hand scorpion handstand. And I don't care what it takes to get there. I just want that. Okay, but and the hang whole, on. What is that even? <laughs> okay, cool. That so sounds a, so crazy. It is a little crazy, but in an awesome way. It's a <laughs> it's a backbending handstand. That's, yeah. that's okay. the most basic way to describe <laughs> it. But so it's a pretty big pose, you know, and people will become obsessed with these shapes and it's just like that's all that matters but the whole reason that you would even work on a scorpion handstand or work on any asana is to be in this moment not in the future not in the past and i am the type to obsess over things like i i'm the type of person who can't let things go trisha and, and i um, are both nodding really yeah, intensely right. at you <laughs> it's like it's really common because we live in a society that really encourages that kind of behavior where you you stay in the past or you're in the future you're never in this moment and this moment is pretty perfect when you think about it like because it's everything is exactly as it needs to be and that concept is so simple but it's so difficult to grasp and for me every moment of this life is just trying to grasp that concept so that the time spent on a yoga mat is I'm not going to say it's inconsequential obviously it's very important but the most important thing is applying these ideas to when you're not on the mat because You can't spend your whole life practicing asana, and you shouldn't spend your whole life that way. But you should spend your whole life in this moment because this could be the last moment. And what good does it do to be worried about something in the future? But I think that that's the thing that has helped me the most with my anxiety, and particularly when it comes to just like waking up on days when you don't feel like getting out of bed or when you are just so – and this is – I mean, it's unfortunately really, really common to feel this way. And I think that if you can just focus on breathing – and just trying to stay here, that's where the yoga is really working. You know, the other thing, even from like the most basic level when it comes to doing yoga, is that I know it's time away from my phone. You oh know, my where I'm not like staring at a screen. Like even just that hour or hour and a half or 15 minutes or whatever of just like intentional disconnection, I find really valuable. I don't want to bite the hand that feeds because obviously I've had great success with social media, but I really, really hate it at times because it is so opposite of what humans are supposed to be doing. It's you're always thinking about something else. You're always comparing yourself against something else so that your present moment isn't as good as the person who's like in Australia practicing a handstand and eating a a cy bowl. Is that what they're called? The with the berries? Y'all have that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, someone who's just like, oh, my God, my life is so perfect. And you're looking at this on your phone while you're in traffic, and you're just like, my life isn't as good. And I feel like anything that we can do to get away from that behavior is awesome. And to me, yoga is, like, absolutely an opportunity to do that. You're listening to the Nerdette Summer Homework Special from WBEZ Chicago. 
I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Greta Johnson. And you just got some homework from Jessamine Stanley. She's a yoga instructor and the author of Everybody Yoga. I must say, I personally am a big fan of yoga, and I think everyone should give it a shot. We're almost out of time, so we want to get right to one of my very favorite pieces of homework ever. It's from Shana Gifford. She was part of a recent NASA mission where a group of scientists hid for a year in a pod on top of a volcano in Hawaii. Okay, but they don't really hide. They're there for science so we can get more data about the human experience of what it would be like to live on Mars. Dr. Gifford was a medic during the Mars simulation, and being stowed away for a whole year gave her perspective on the universe. So I'll offer the ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, humans at home, if going to Mars or traveling in space appeals to you, think of yourself already as a traveler in space. You're traveling in space, you're on a very large ship, the size of the Earth, and just like in space, resources are limited. You have only so much food, water, so much air. So begin to look around your world and think of yourself as having only so much of anything. Behave accordingly. Buy only the food you're going to eat, and if you're not going to eat it or use it, compost it. Turn lights off. Wash dishes in the sink and then use that water to do the floor. Plant something that generates oxygen. And really choose when you buy things, when you purchase things, when you fill your life with stuff. Think of it as the thing you want with you on your ship. And if you don't want it with you on your ship, do you really want it? Fill your life with the people you want with you on your ship. And if you don't want them with you on your journey to the unknown, well, maybe choose other people. And most of all, decide who it is you most want to be in life and be that person. Be your boldest, most brilliant, most generous, <laughs> most patient individual, because that's the kind of person that survives in space. Maybe not the academic genius, but the social genius, the one who looks past frustrations and finds a greater mission with the people in their lives. Those are the people who make it in space. So if you want to be a space cadet, please start now. Trisha, I feel like I always say that whatever homework we get is my favorite homework, but this seriously is just the best possible homework. Even if you don't want to be a space cadet, I feel like these are good rules to live by. And if you're like me and you do want to be a space cadet, <laughs> they're very good rules to live by. We've really only scratched the surface with this summer homework special because we've done about 150 episodes of Nerdette and so many people have given us great homework. I wonder if we can squeeze in just a few more. So if I were to give uh, homework, the homework would be... Buy yourself a titanium spork. I carry one everywhere, and I never use plastic cutlery. There are problems society faces, civilization faces, that cannot and will not be solved awaiting the next app on your smartphone. So my homework for everyone is to go see a meteor shower. Meteor showers are amazing, and they are super, like, easy to do. Everyone should go see Get Out. I haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen it, but you're just telling everybody to go see it? <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's supposed to be really fun and really scary and also really prescient. Ask not what your cell phone can do for you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Ask what you can do for civilization. Those were the voices of astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson, Invisibilia podcast host Hannah Rosen, astrophysicist Carrie Nugent, and author Roxanne Gay. Two astrophysicists. Yeah, this is good, right? You can hear all that homework and so much more by subscribing to our podcast, Nerdette. Just visit nerdettepodcast.com or subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like Game of Thrones and armchair analysis, subscribe to our other podcast, Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Seigel. Our recaps come out every Monday after a new episode of Game of Thrones. This special homework broadcast was produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, with the help of Justin Bull, Candice Mattel, and Joe Dussault. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at Nerdette Podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework, for real. Just do it. It's fun. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.